Come on now. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let all God's people praise the Lord. Shake off those heavy bands. Lift up those holy hands. Let all God's people Praise the Lord. Oh, let's worship Him now. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let all God's people praise the Lord. Shake off those heavy bands. Lift up those holy hands. Let all God's people praise the Lord. Oh, let's sing it again now. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let all God's people praise the Lord. Shake off those heavy bands Lift up those holy hands Let all God's people praise the Lord One more time now Oh, everybody Praise the Lord Praise the Lord Let all God's people Praise the Lord. So shake off those heavy bands. Lift up those holy hands. And let all God's people praise the Lord. Take it up one, Brother Matt. Oh, get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. So get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Oh, get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Jesus Christ is still the King of Kings. Oh, sing it again now. Oh, get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Jesus Christ is still the King of Kings. Mm, you talk about people. You talk about things that really aren't important at all. You talk about weather. You talk about problems we have here at home and abroad. But Friend, I'm excited about a solution for the world. I'm going to shout and sing. 
Jesus Christ is still the King of Kings. Oh, so get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Oh, get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Jesus Christ is still the King of Kings. Oh, you talk about people, you talk about things that really aren't important at all. You talk about weather, you talk about problems we have here at home and abroad. But friend, I'm excited about a solution for the world. I'm going to shout and sing. Jesus Christ is still the King of Kings. Oh, let's get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Oh, get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Jesus Christ is still the King of Kings. One more time now. Oh, come on and get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Oh, get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Jesus Christ is still the King of Kings. Oh, hallelujah. I mean, he's excited this evening. You may say, well, how excited are you, Brother Keith? I could run through a troop and leap over a wall. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. He's my rock and my shield. He gives power to all. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, now I am free from condemnation. Jesus is the rock of my salvation. I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. He's my rock and my shield. He gives power to all. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Yes, now I'm free from condemnation. Jesus is the rock of my salvation. I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. One more time. Oh, I can run through a troop. And leap over a wall, hallelujah, oh hallelujah, 
He's my rock and my shield. He gives power to all. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. And now I'm free from condemnation. Jesus is the rock of my salvation. I can run through a truth and leap over a wall. Hallelujah, oh hallelujah. Amen. How many's got victory this evening? Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Oh, He sought me and He bought me. With His redeeming blood He loved me ere I knew Him And all my love is due Him Oh, He plunged me to victory Beneath the cleansing flood I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How He gave His life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about His groaning Of His precious blood atoning Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Oh, He sought me and He bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him, and all my love is due Him. For He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. And I heard about His healing of His cleansing power revealing how He made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, Dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought Hallelujah a victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Oh, He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him, and all my love is due Him. Oh, He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood.
take these prayer requests before the Lord. Let's just slow it down a little bit here and let's just sing this to Him. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to to him one more time saints then sings my soul my Savior God to thee oh we love you Lord we thank you Father how great thou art yes Lord how Brother Jaron, if he would get ready to take these requests before the Lord for us. We want to uh, continue to remember Sister Mary Smith and Brother Richard in your in your prayers. <clears throat> also, we want to uh, continue to remember Sister Connie. She had her therapy and uh, she is recovering, but uh, sore. And we just pray that the Lord will continue to touch her and give her strength also. Um. Brother Johnny turned in a request, said to please remember his neighbor, uh, David Martin, that he's having some health issues and they're having a difficult time trying to diagnose what's going on. And I, I know firsthand how frustrating and depressing that can be when you feel bad and they just, they just can't figure it out. So let's just pray and ask the, the Lord to be with that, uh, gentleman. Also, uh, Sister Chanel turned in a request for Sister Sherry to remember her. She's not feeling well. Um, <clears throat> also, uh, we want to um, remember uh, Sister Carrie uh, Whitlock. She had to have a root canal. Uh, we want to remember Brother Ben McCafferty, uh, who's uh, having some problems with his uh, back. Uh, there's also a special unspoken request that is here. The Lord knows what that is. Um, I want you to uh, continue to remember uh, Sister Erica Parker, Brother Donnie's daughter. Just continue to hold her up in prayer. Um, also, I'd like you to uh, remember uh, Mitchell. He's uh, traveling this weekend. He's, going, he's away. 
And uh, remember, Ashley, she uh, had a little accident at the uh, daycare yesterday, and she dislocated her knee and sprained her ankle. So the daycare, it just keeps on giving. So just remember her in prayer. And uh, uh, I know there's uh, many unspoken requests among us, many needs. Amen. We certainly want to continue to remember our brothers and sisters over in Ukraine as well and, and around the world. Uh, God bless you, Brother Jaron. Amen. He's mindful of our needs. Are you thankful for that? Amen. God knew. God knew what we had on our hearts before we ever, ever had the question. Amen. Or we ever had the need. He's got the answer. Amen. With that in mind, let's approach Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, we certainly thank you for letting us be able to gather in your name once again, Lord. Lord, we feel that time is swiftly approaching, God, that maybe sometime we wouldn't be able to gather as we are now, God. And how precious these moments are, God. I pray that we would not take them for granted, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would redeem the time, God. Lord, I pray that you would just ignite a fire in our hearts, God. Lord, just chase away all doubt, fear. Lord, I pray that you would just let it be replaced with peace and love, Lord God. And as we approach approach your throne, God, we ask forgiveness of anything, God, that's contrary, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would just cleanse our hearts, God. Create within us a new heart, Lord. Renew our mind as your scripture tells us, Lord, I pray. Lord, as we come before you, we bring these special needs. Lord, you've heard each request, God. Lord, you know each and every need, Lord Jesus. Lord, we certainly think of those that are away from us at this time. Lord, we, I'm sure their heart's desire would be to, to gather with the saints, to worship you, Lord, as we feel your presence so sweet in this building, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would just be with them wherever they may be, Lord, if they could not be here at this time, God. Lord, those that are sick and afflicted, Lord, we lift them up before you, Lord. We certainly pray for Sister Mary, Lord, and Sister Connie, Lord, that you would just bless and help them as they're going through, Lord, their situations, Lord. You would just grant healing to their bodies, God. Lord, we certainly pray for the the Collins family, Lord, with what they've gone through recently, Lord, and the loss of their loved one, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, would you just be near to them in this moment, God? You would meet and provide for their needs, God. Help them in this time, Lord Jesus. Bring peace to their hearts. Lord, I pray for all those that are still struggling with sickness or disease, Lord. I pray that you would be merciful to them, Lord God. Lord, with healing in your wings, I pray that you would sweep through the land, Lord, and just bring deliverance to your bride and to your people, Lord, wherever they may be, Father. Lord, we commit this service to your hands, God, that you would just speak to our hearts now, Lord. Lord, we pray for the minister, Lord, that you would just lay upon his heart, Lord, a word that's in due season, Lord, for each and every believer, Lord, under the sound of his voice. Lord, we just commit our hearts to you in the remainder of the service, Lord. And we ask all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Brother Jared. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. <clears throat> Just a quick announcement that uh, to remind the brothers, uh, if you intend on uh, coming to the breakfast Saturday morning in the fellowship hall, it's at 9 o'clock, be sure to let Brother Barry, Brother Ben McCafferty, or Brother Ron Knobloch know that you're going to be there so they'll know um, how much food to, uh, to, to get. 
Um, I wanted to sing this song. Uh, We'll try it in the key of G, Brother Matt. This song has really been on my heart. And uh, I was just, I was just thinking, well, really over the, about the last month, the Lord's just really been dealing with me on some things and seeing these uh, pictures and things that come out from these countries, from Africa, where these folks are getting their books and their Bibles for the first time and how excited they are. And I remember specifically the one sister that was by herself that was living in the grass the grass hut with the the dirt floor that was all she had and how happy she was when she'd got the Bible. And then I get to thinking about all these folks in in Ukraine that what they're going through, the believers over there. And what shocked me was how happy they all still seem to be. And I don't know, I I just, the Lord just laid it on my heart and I got to thinking, I said, Lord, you know, we're such a we're such a spoiled people you know and i'm i have been a number one guilty in times of the past of uh lord you know i wished you would do this or i wished you would bless me with this or lord why can i not get this or lord why did this happen to me why did this why did i have to go through this and then it just dawned on me, you know, what if I was to question the Lord like this? What if I was to approach him this way and say, Lord, why didn't you put me in Africa? Lord, why didn't you put me in a country that didn't speak English? Why did I get the good why did I get the good spot? You know, why did I get the blessings to receive the message? Why could I why did you not make me like one of the others? And it just changed my way of thinking about what we should really be thankful for. To know where we are, there's millions and millions of people around the world that have no clue where we are. But yet God chose us and we know we've got so much to thank Him for. Amen. I just wanted to sing this song. and uh, uh, If you can bring it up in the database there, uh, Sister Emma, just help me sing this song. And I just, I just challenge each and every one to really look at, at where we're at and what God has really done for us, how blessed we really are. It's not about the size of the bank account because at any given time the government could seize that and you would be left with nothing. But if you know Him, you have everything. When I look around and see the good things that he's done for me i know i'm unworthy of them all for his blessings he freely gives i owe my whole life to him i've got so much to thank Him for Well, I've got so much to thank Him for So much to praise Him for You see, God has been so good to me And when I think Of what He's done and where 
that he's brought me from. I've got so much to thank him for. Sometimes along this way I kneel, I stop and say thank you, Lord. For all you've done for me, oh, some sweet day when I reach heaven's shore, Lord, please let me kneel once more. I've got so much to thank you for. Well, I've got so. To thank Him for so much, to praise Him for you see, God has been so good to me, and when I think of what He's done and where that He's brought me from, I've got so much. To thank Him for, I like this. I wanna thank Him for letting me see this last day in time mystery, and I know that my name is on the book. Oh, the sea. They have been revealed, and any day now, that body change we could feel. We've got so much to thank Him for. Oh, stand and sing it with me. I've got so much to thank Him for, so much to praise Him for, you see. God has been so good to me, and when I think of what He's done and where He's brought me from, I've got so much to thank Him for. When I think, and when I think. Of what he's done and where he has brought me from, I've got so much to thank him for. Oh, hallelujah! Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We'll have the ushers come at this time and we'll uh, receive the evening tithe and offering. Amen. Brother Andy, if you would, pray for the offering. Amen. As Brother Barry comes, let's just sing that song, Falling in Love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. 
falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I've ever, ever done. In His arms I feel protected in his arms I'm never disconnected in his arms I feel protected and there's no place I'd ever rather be oh falling in love with Jesus falling in love Jesus falling in love with my Jesus best thing I've ever ever done praise the Lord Leviticus chapter 19. Let's take a reading tonight with the help of the Lord. And uh, thank you, musicians. And thank you all for being here tonight. May God bless you. Good to see you here always. You are half of the gift that operates tonight, so I'm expecting. Shalom in the home, part 25. Couldn't leave it at 24. Truths that should motivate us to honor our parents. I've got uh, two or three things here that I wanted to continue to to finish off. So, uh, Lord willing, we'll just see how far we can get tonight. In Leviticus chapter 19, I'd like to read a little passage here just to capture a phrase. And before we read this evening, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercies to us. They are new every day. And so, Lord, we... Just pause to acknowledge, Lord, how you care for your people. And there are many, many needs, Lord, too numerous for us to even mention them all. But you're a God who's omnipresent, and you're a God who's omniscient. You know the end from the beginning. You always know what's best. And, Lord, you know how to change things in order to bring your word to pass in our lives. I pray now that you would just move on the scene, Lord, and minister to our hearts and help us, Lord, tonight right where we are. And Lord, I know that there are special and unspoken requests that are on our hearts, and we give them to you tonight in faith, trusting, Lord, that you will reach down in your own supernatural way and touch those that are hurting and nervous and need your help tonight, Lord, we pray. We love you and we thank you and ask now that you breathe upon the word and make it live tonight. In Jesus' lovely name we pray, amen and amen. Leviticus chapter 19, verse... 30. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head or the gray head or the elder and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God. I am the Lord. May God add his blessing. You may be seated. Now, I, I realize this, I, 
that there's probably a number of people who are tuning in tonight, and I, I, I didn't check, but I imagine there's lots of folks that are wanting to have uh, recent information about things that are happening in Ukraine. Uh, lots of people who are, um, you know, in contact with me and uh, will probably go back and reference uh, our services they normally do and check and see what's uh, the latest news. I'm really uh, leaning heavily on getting all the information to our website. So uh, if, you, if you're looking for current information, stories, full stories, uh, because I couldn't take... I couldn't do it in one service just to tell you what's happened over the last two days. And we're, I'm, I'm working with Lucas and getting things onto the website so that there's a more complete picture there. You can take your time and browse through it. There's a note, a little report from me, and so forth. It's there. Uh, so you're welcome to go look at it. And uh, sometimes I'll throw in a picture, like i got a couple here tonight that no one has seen. You get to see it first. Uh, because it's uh, just stuff that's happening or people have sent to me in the last couple of hours. Um, but as I've been telling you, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time doing this tonight here um, because we want to get into the Word just a little bit tonight and, and uh, study a little together, and I think all, all of these things are profitable. It's just finding time to get it all done. Uh, but um, the situation uh, obviously is, is serious. The situation is... Uh, uh, it's increasingly complex, and uh, you know we're we're watching it as closely as everybody else. I am watching it as closely as everybody else. But uh, I'm thankful that we're still able to help the believers over there. You'll see a couple of pictures tonight of people I've never met before that have received uh, help. There's really not many believers that are left in the country at all. There's men that are left there. A lot of women and children have gone. Uh, so it's, it's a, you know, represents a great change in the whole country there where there were thousands of believers. And now uh, I would say there's probably not more than 100 or 200 uh, that are left in there. And uh, the believers over on the very east side in uh, Donetsk, uh, they are really going through a difficult struggle because the Russian government is forcing them to fight. Uh, if you're 65 or under, they're forcing people to fight. And that means that they would have to take up arms against their Ukrainian brethren. And uh, that is something that they're certainly trying to avoid. Matter of fact, they're so desperate for bodies in the Russian army that in Donetsk they had made an announcement among the people. And they said one day they came out and said, look, we've told you that everybody, uh, if you're on the street, you're going to be conscripted and taken into the army by force. You won't have a choice. Uh, We've told you that. That's over now. That's all finished. Uh, We're not doing that anymore. Uh, we're doing well in Ukraine, so you don't need to worry about that anymore. You can relax and go about your daily life. Well, naturally, all the men came out of hiding. And as soon as they did, they rounded them up on the street and forced them into the army. And so that's the kind of people that, you know, they're dealing with. And it's just a, a very difficult thing for uh, the believers over there and uh, very dangerous in some places, not in all places, but in some places. And uh, we're thankful that, uh, you know, People are going in this Saturday, if you remember that. People are going in, uh, carrying stuff in for, for me and uh, for on behalf of the believers over there. I'm very thankful for that. That's risky to do, uh, but they're uh, going to be doing it on Saturday, and um, I'm hoping that they, uh, they make it in there. 
But uh, I wanted to just pass along a couple of images to you uh, today. This is uh, the city of Mariupol, and uh, we've kind of been following Mariupol a little bit because of Brother Volodya Ivanov and uh, his wife. And there are no more believers that we know that are in this city. There's some in Melitopol, but not in Mariupol. And so uh, they have basically reduced this city or are reducing this city uh, to ashes. And they say that there are possibly hundreds of thousands of people who are trapped or killed underneath buildings that have collapsed. And so it's, uh, they're, they're looking at a potential massive human uh, uh, situation that is you know, a catastrophe of, of epic proportions there in that city, which they may never really find out. But uh, that's Brother Volodya shooting out his window. We've seen several pictures of him shooting out the window. They're gone. Their apartment, uh, they've left their place. Uh, just took some uh, stuff with him, and there's a bunch of new pictures on the website that talk about his story. This is people who are collecting snow for drinking water in Mariupol. Uh, that's all they had. Water was cut off. Electricity was cut off. Internet was cut off. Uh, very little to purchase. And so they wound up uh, making their meals like this or outside. I've got a bunch of pictures of them cooking over open fires outside their apartment buildings. Uh, which is ro- relatively dangerous, but they would go out and cook over a fire and then bring it back in their apartment and stay there. Uh, but that's how they've lived for uh, quite a while uh, up to this point. <clears throat> this is a, a Pentecostal family, and this is the family that I've never met before, but they've just come into the message of the hour, and uh, very thankful uh, for that. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> met this brother, this is one of the pastors over here, and uh, he was in uh, Ukraine when I was over there in September. And uh, he had baptized this family over there. And they wanted to send the message. They said that they live 80 kilometers from Melitopol. And they said they have received support from us. And they're very thankful for uh, all the help that they've received. This was sent to me today as well. This is in Ushgorod, Ukraine. And uh, this is the church of Brother Vlad. Brother Vlad is in this picture right here. Uh, he's the pastor there, good ma- real good man. And uh, we're thankful for Brother Vlad. But this is uh, the young people. If you could turn it up there for us. So let's see if we can go back. Ah, let's go back there. Let's just grab that. Turn that up there. Crank it up there so we can hear it. They're, they're worshiping together in a young people's meeting this evening. So let's see if we can do it. So that's a couple of hours ago in, uh, in Ukraine, and they, they gather together still when they can. And uh, <clears throat> That was Wednesday night service <clears throat> with young people, and uh, they were certainly uh, enjoying the gathering. Uh, none of them have any work. None of them have any responsibilities. None of them have anything uh, to do, so they really do take advantage of getting together. Uh, Brother Eugene sent us some photos of shopping in the marketplace in uh, Ushgorod, and there's uh, that's a bread stall on, on the one side there, and uh, that's, that's how they buy things in the market. And there's still things available, so they're very, uh, very thankful for that. Last image I want to give you is one that was on the BBC, and I sent this out uh, yesterday. And this is where uh, the president of Ukraine was calling on the Pope and the Vatican to mediate in the struggle. And they were 
they were wanting to have uh, the Pope to uh, deal with Russia in the difficult humanitarian situation. The last paragraph, Zelensky added the mediating role of the Holy See, which is the jurisdiction of the Pope, not necessarily the Pope, but his people and his organization, uh, in ending the human suffering would be appreciated. And it comes after Zelensky said on Monday that Jerusalem could potentially be a location for the future top-level peace talks between Ukraine and Moscow. Now, this is interesting because uh, Jerusalem pops up all the time. The Israelis pop up all the time in this role of peacekeeper or mediator. That's not really what they're after, but they keep popping up in this role. And uh, it's just very interesting that they would choose, of all places, choose Jerusalem uh, to have that kind of a, a meeting together. So... Uh, it, I, I can't tell you where all of this is going to go. I just tell you this, that uh, I, I, don't, I just don't see a whole lot of other things that need to be fulfilled. Uh, we have all the major players doing things that they're prophesied to do in the last day uh, with the Vatican involved and Jerusalem involved and everything else, and this could easily flip one way or the other. And this could be, we could be real close on the going home of the bride time. I mean, I, I, we've always said that. Right, but uh, I just don't know a whole lot of other things that are that are pressing to be fulfilled. Uh, there's there's just this stuff is just happening and coming together very quickly. So uh, it, it's certainly certainly something to watch. But if you don't mind, just uh, continue to remember those folks uh, in your prayer, the folks in uh, in that part of the world, the believers, because they're greatly displaced. And I I think that's a serious thing. It's a serious thing to. Uh, leave a church and move on or move out of state and move on, you know, to, to transplant yourself from one place to another. That's a, to me, that's a big deal. Uh, but, you know, when you're forced to leave your country and you've got to migrate and go to another place, I mean, that affects the whole church in that country. And I, when I was talking to the people over there, I didn't suggest to them, hey, you need to come to the States or you need to go to England or Ireland or, you know, I, I, never, I never suggested anything like that to any one of them at any time because uh, I don't want to be encouraging somebody to be out of where God wants them to be. If God is shuffling things around and moving people around, they need to be very careful about the choices and decisions they make and make them between them and God, not, not because everybody's going to one place or... You know, it'd be exciting now to go to America or go to Canada or uh, whatever else. Uh, you know, this is to me this is this is a major thing when people are, uh, you know, uh, scattered like that in the in the four winds. I mean, exoduses and migrations; those are important things that that God has His hand upon. So, uh, you know, we just really need to be praying for those folks because more and more of them are coming out of uh, Ukraine. And uh, it's, it's a serious situation in terms of what their future will actually hold. All right, let's go back to uh, Shalom in the home. And uh, I was um, uh, talking with some people who, uh, in, other, in other countries, actually, who uh, were referring to some of these sermons here. So I wanted to make sure that we included everything that needed to be included and uh, wanted, to, uh, wanted to deal with this subject here and as I say, I got more than what we'll be able to cover tonight. But if you don't mind, go back to Leviticus 19. It's a, a chapter that we need to just take a, a, a little more in-depth look at here tonight. But <clears throat> I had a, a conversation with a couple of ministers over when I was in Europe uh, last week, and uh, these brothers sat down and they were asking me about the possibility of coming over and dealing with the subject of marriage and family. 
And I said, why, why me? Why now? What's, what's the issue? And they were, uh, it, was, it was quite striking, the things that they said about how the society in, uh, societies are in Europe today. And uh, the, the, it was interesting because now in Europe, whenever you want to make a journey, say you want to go from Finland all the way to Spain on the bottom, there's no borders, there's no swiping cards, there's no showing passports. You don't even need to carry them with you anymore. It's just an open border. It's almost like one big country anymore, except Switzerland. Switzerland always does things a little bit differently. They have, they're going to stop you at the border at Switzerland. But other than that, every other European nation is just, you drive through. We went from Poland to Czech Republic, and they had to tell me that we were in another country. I didn't, never knew. And uh, it's so seamless. It's so open now. It's like one country. And in Europe today, there is a very, very strong anti-Bible mindset and a very strong pro, um, pro-gay rights, pro-gay uh, marriage, all of that kind of stuff is taught very strongly and very purposely, very purposefully uh, in schools and institutions there. Uh, it, it was striking. And what the brothers were saying is that uh, in, their, in, their, um, in their families and in their churches, they find that the young people are growing up never having known life without all of these <clears throat> new rules and new definitions about what a family is and what marriage is and uh, having children out of wedlock and all of that. They have a brand new definition that is different than their own as adults and different than what the Bible teaches. And they feel like that this is their last chance really at uh, establishing biblical principles with this generation. And these are, we're talking about teenagers and early 20s, because when these kids get married in their early 20s and have children, they really have no idea how to raise them in a godly way, have a godly Christian home. They have no idea, because there's no, t- unless the pastors in the church teach that, there's absolutely no other place that they're going to hear about it at all. And as a matter of fact, it's even frowned upon. It's discouraged. It's something that uh, society really doesn't want them to do at all. And so the, the young people are kind of have this attitude, you know, because they've never known a world where there was not gay marriage and all the other things that go with that, just like they never knew a world without the Internet. Like there's a lot of you young people here that ne- have never lived in a world without the Internet. So it's kind of pr- pretty difficult to imagine. And in the same way in Europe, there's a lot of young people who have never lived in a world without any kind of traditional, biblical, foundational teaching about families and, and uh, the sanctity of marriage and, uh, you know, uh, making a commitment before there's intimacy and all the other things like we would teach at a retreat or something else, second most important decision in your life. I had young people come, up, come to me when I was over there and say, hey, I listened to that little series, you know, the most important decision, uh, second most important decision uh, in your life. And uh, they, were, uh, they were really happy that somebody had spelled it out and said, uh, said things like that. And these are people I never knew were listening at all, people in, in all kinds of countries. And as I was listening to the brothers, I went back to the scripture in Psalm 78 where David said, we will not hide them, the exploits of our God. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he had done. David said, we won't hide that. We'll, we'll declare that. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children 
that the generation that come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. So you, you've heard me say many times, this is that intergenerational responsibility we have as parents and as ministers and as Christians to teach our children, who in turn will teach their children about the exploits of God, the standards of the word, and the principles that make for godly homes. And that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, and a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. And if this is not done, David is saying, there will, there will arise a generation uh, that is stubborn and rebellious. And you don't want to have another generation that is more stubborn and rebellious against God than the generations we have on the earth. And those ministers in, in certain parts of the world, they're very, very concerned. And so they were asking, would I come and help them to, uh, you know, to minister on some of these ideas? But let me just give you a little, a few facts here. And this is an article, I've got the link on the next page here. Uh, this is about Europe. And it simply says, I just clipped out two little paragraphs, in a profound shift that has changed the notion of what constitutes a family in many countries, and this is Western Europe we're talking about, more and more European children are being born out of wedlock into a new social order in which it seems few of the old stigmas apply. So none of that Bible stuff, none of that morality stuff, none of that at all. The trend is far more pronounced in Nordic countries, uh, Nor- Norway, Sweden, F- uh, Finland, Switzerland, or, uh, in the Denmark and those countries. And the trend is far more pronounced also in France and Britain and less in southern countries like Italy and Switzerland. But the figures as a whole are startling, because, part, particularly because they tend to hold up across all social classes. So it isn't just the educated or the poor or the immigrants. Uh, the most important thing, it seems to me, is the quality of the relationship between the members of the couple, not family anymore, nor not whether they are married or not, says this sociologist who's a professor at the Institute of Political Science in France. But here in France, there's very little difference between married and cohabiting and very little difference between children born out of wedlock and those that are born within marriage. That's not an issue anymore. That's, that's not something we're worried about. So it really doesn't matter whether we're married or not. Probably the only country that matters whether you're married or not is in France, and that's only for income tax purposes. And they have some benefits if uh, one partner dies and what happens to their children. So they, they will tend to get married a little bit more easily in France, and only because of those restrictions. But the idea is summarized very well by this guy here who says, uh, there's no difference now. And don't tell us that we have a moral obligation to get married or that we have to hold up the old-fashioned traditions of uh, getting married and then having children. Uh, a very common thing now is to have children participate in weddings of couples and all of that. It's, it's way ahead of where we are in America. America's following, but it's way ahead of the numbers here, pr- almost double uh, the numbers over there. And so, uh, as a result of this, this generation now that's coming up, so these guys that are sitting here in the front, uh, they, this is the generation that they feel like, unless there's something drastic done now in terms of teaching and evangelism to that, to that group, they'll never have any idea about what, what the, the, the Bible teaches or what Brother Branham taught because there are not as many kids today who listen to the message. And if you don't regularly listen to the message, uh, you may be sitting there in your seat saying, well, Brother Barry, what is the big deal? And that's a scary thing. 
So I went to, I, when, I, when I read something like that, I, I'm just going to be a minute here, but I went to my friends at, at Pew Research, and they're, they're always really interesting. You can find anything you want in Pew Research, and it's usually credible. But in, and i just given you one graph here, and this, this talks about uh, how in Western Europe, uh, people still will say that they are raised a Christian or associated with Christianity, but there's only about 22% of people who attend services monthly, and many of them are over 60. So we have a a very small segment of the population. They may say one thing, but what they do is quite different than what they say, and uh, they may remember their church days, but they don't attend. So in the article there, one paragraph, it says, Western Europe, where Protestant Christianity originated and Catholicism has been based for most of its history, Many of the great church leaders that we know about all arose out of Europe in one place or another has become one of the most of the world's most secular regions. There's way more churches in Africa, way more church growth in Africa. There's more church growth in China than there is in Europe. And although the vast majority of adults say they were baptized, today many do not describe themselves as Christians. And so there is a real strong move uh, by people over there to, uh, you know, uh, get, get Christianity, get the Bible, get any uh, kind of moral teaching like that out of the way. Let us live our lives the way we want to. And that's the fulfillment, that's the fruit on the tree of uh, Laodicea's idea of everyone has their own, their own rights. So I want to do what I want to do, and I don't want you to have to tell me. So when, when you know, ministers come along and they preach the message, and message churches generally uh, are fairly small in that area, uh, they, uh, in that part of northern Europe, then uh, it, it is a real challenge for them, and, and socially very unacceptable for them to preach what I'm preaching tonight here. And so, uh, you know what I feel like doing? I feel like preaching it anyway. So Brother Manum said, influence is a great thing. We are told in Scripture, we are written epistles read of all men. And we as Christians should always watch what we do and what we say, that we're perfectly honest to every man. We're perfectly honest to every man. And you, if you can't be honest with your fellow man, you certainly won't be honest with God. So how we serve God is we serve each other. And as honest as I would be with you, that's as honest as I would be with God and so forth. And then he says, and that's the same way with you to me. We must be honest with each other in all of our dealings. And somebody is watching us. You may not think that, but there are eyes watching you, and your life is influencing somebody. Maybe it's a little child, and that child may grow up another Finney or Moody or so forth. We don't know, but your life is influencing somebody. So therefore, it is incumbent upon us, especially when society has laid down its sense of responsibility to teach things that are moral and true and just and honest. Uh, we have a responsibility, or we say it this way, the responsibility on our shoulders is increasingly larger because nobody else is teaching it. We've got to make sure our young people know where the boundary lines are. We've got to make sure that our young people hear it. What they do with it is between them and God. Right? Because they'll eventually get old and uh, they'll make decisions and choices on their own. But that does not abdicate us from the responsibility of teaching it anyway. We've got to teach it. And I'm sorry, if you're in this church, you're probably going to hear it. Because I think it's important. I think it's, it's not all of what we need to preach, but I think it is an important part of what we do preach. And uh, I, I believe that it helps families, and I believe that many times the problems that 
uh, occur in churches are usually not doctrinal problems. I say, let me say it again. Most often, the problems that plague churches are not doctrinal problems. People are not leaving churches today in our, in our culture because the pastor is saying, well, you know, there was a white horse rider and that was Christ and, and so on, you know, or, or making some doctrinal difference, uh, you know, about uh, words or things. A lot of the message has become very clear to us because it's, we've moved into a season where things have ripened and matured, right? Plus, we can access every single thing that Brother Branham said. And we can listen to all kinds of things what people uh, have said about it. It is not just, uh, you know, one person coming up and saying something in obscurity and leading a bunch of people astray. We've got way too much information for that now. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that, uh, you know, we can check each other, buy each other in terms of our teaching. And we as ministers, we uh, spend a lot of time, you know, talking and going back and forth and uh, listening to one another, encouraging one another. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of interaction that goes back and forth. And I'm thankful for that, very thankful for that, because I don't know it all. And I don't know of anybody on the earth who knows it all. And we are a part of a five-fold ministry, not a one-fold, but a five-fold ministry. And we are, to me, we are a team, if you like. Uh, we are a group that should work together to minister to the bride of Christ as a whole, all of us in our individual capacities, to be able to get a bride ready for the kingdom and dressed and ready to go. I believe that's, that's where we're at. And so Brother Bram is saying that all of us uh, exert an influence on the younger generation or maybe your assembly or your family, uh, you know, your grandchildren. All of us exert an example, so therefore we want to learn uh, what, what God's Word says, and then we want to be able to influence uh, the other generations that come up behind us. Is that okay? All right, I'm done with the introduction, so let's take a look. So David says the same thing in Psalm 34. Come ye children and hearken unto me and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. He's ready to do that. Take your Bible. Let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 19. I'm sorry. Hold, if you got your Bible there, hold it open on Leviticus 19. Let's just, let's just take a look at this while we're there, okay? This is God speaking to Moses now. And Leviticus is the book, of, book to the Levites. And the Levites were the fivefold ministry of their day, and they were the ones to teach the law and encourage the people to worship within the boundaries that God had set. So this is God speaking to Moses here to be able to pass on to the children of Israel. Verse 3, You shall fear every man his mother and father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. So it's interesting to me that in this chapter, these are things that God wants to impress upon Moses, to impress upon the people. And this is the first thing that he says. First thing he gives to Moses here, You shall fear every man his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. These are two top priorities with God. They may not be top priorities with you, uh, until tonight, but these are top priorities with God. These are high on the list. And we're not talking about fearing your mother as in, she'll kill me if I say the wrong thing. But this word fear is respect. And his father, uh, every man his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbaths, for I am the Lord your God. Remember now, God looks uh, very carefully on the Sabbath day, and he wants us to make sure that we honor him uh, on the Sabbath day. So we're going to deal with that word honor tonight. Turn ye not unto idols, and don't make to yourselves molten gods, for I am the Lord your God. And if you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord, you shall offer it at your own will. So in a sense, God here is explaining or giving a breakdown or fleshing out the Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments are very important to God. He made them. He wrote them. And so he wanted Moses to understand, when you go to the people, these are the things I want you to say. 
And uh, in verse 11, for instance, you shall not steal. Verse 13, you shall not defraud thy neighbor, uh, neither rob him, pay him his wages, and so forth. Go to 15. You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Therefore, you you cannot be a proper judge and be bribed. You cannot be an appropriate judge and be influenced. If you're going to judge, you have to judge righteously and on the basis of one thing, and that is the law and the commandment. This is what he tells him. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. So if you're in a position as a judge, and this is who he's referring to here in the Levites, if you're in a position to judge, you have a basis upon which you are going to judge not whether they're prominent in this congregation, not whether they're wealthy, not whether they're able to give you a bonus at Christmas time. Not at all. You are to not respect rich or poor, black or white. Uh, you know, somebody's in the church a long time, somebody not. That's not at all how we, we should judge. But in righteousness thou shalt judge thy neighbor. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. So you shouldn't be talking to people who are always talking about people. Right? Because I will tell you what, if they're talking about all the other people, uh, when they're not talking to you, they're probably going to be talking about you too. There's a lot to be said against tail-bearing. And he says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a tail-bearer among thy people, and neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor, for I am the Lord. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Wow. Thou shalt in any wise, thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, I am the Lord. Wow, it's interesting. Here's, here's in the Old Testament, and Jesus comes along and he's asked, what's the greatest commandments? He refers right back to this, and that comes right out into our time, and a prophet teaches us exactly the same thing. Do you agree? Would you agree that this is important to God? You may not have ever noticed the Leviticus 19, but it is rather an important chapter there. Thou shalt not avenge. It is never your right to punish. It is never your right to get even. And thou shalt not bear any grudges against the children of thy people. You know what? That is a whole lot easier to read than to do. It is really a whole lot easier to read. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And that ye shall keep my statutes. Thou shalt not let thy cattle gender with a diverse kind. Thou shalt not sow thy field. In other words, he's given instructions that are all, that are all having their basis on the word that God has given. Okay, so he's, he's, he's encouraging them to judge and to, uh, to deal in righteousness with people based on the word. And so this is what you're looking for, is what does the commandment say, and then we're going to judge people based on the word. Now these are in the position as judges here. He's not telling all of us to be judges like that, but he, these commandments yet, yet, are applicable to us because Jesus takes them out and isolates many of these for us. And then, you know, the New Testament teaching also talks about, uh, you know, uh, you know, evaluating ourselves and living peaceably with all men and so forth, obtaining and pursuing wisdom. And remember, wisdom with meekness is the key. So we come all the way down here in verse 30, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary, for I am the Lord. Verse 35, you shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in meter yard, in weight or in measure. So in business, if you're a wheat seller, you make sure that if you have a kilo of wheat, 
and your scale is uh, graded to measure a kilo, you make sure that your, your weight actually is a kilo and not less than that so that you would rob more money and so forth. In other words, you pay your taxes, you do the things that you're responsible for. Just balances 36, just weight, a just ephah, a just him, and you shall have. So be honest in your dealings, be honest in your math, be honest in paying your tithes, be honest in your dealings with money. That'll get you messed up with God, right? Treat each other fairly. Treat each other like you would have uh, them to treat you. And 37, therefore observe all of my statutes and all of my judgments and do them, saith the Lord. I'm glad I got the Holy Ghost. Because there's no way I'd remember all the law and the commandments to be able to fulfill them just perfectly. But you know what? Ezekiel tells us that I'm going to take away your stony heart and put my spirit within you that will cause you to walk in my statutes and my judgments, right? And so therefore... Uh, it comes down to a relationship with God, then if we have that, you've got a heart to walk in the fulfillment of God's word. And that's what God would have us to do. Now, take your Bible. Let's go with that in mind. Let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 19. And uh, even though you may uh, be thinking, well, Brother Barry, this is all just Old Testament, we will find as we read this, this is not just Old Testament. These are principles that God wanted to leave with us. Here's an example now of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a good man, had bad friends. And the more he hung around with those bad friends like Ahab, he got in trouble. And this is one of those chapters that deals with this. Not very long. In chapter 19 of Second Chronicles, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace in Jerusalem after fellowshipping with Ahab. Okay, Ahab was considered an enemy of God, and uh, God didn't like him very much. But Jehoshaphat kind of... And this is the chapter after, uh, you know, uh, uh, Ahab and, and Jehoshaphat were... Uh, teaming up and Isaiah, sorry, uh, Ahab had the idea that uh, we were going to go and take the land back. And that's when Jehoshaphat says, but isn't there one more prophet that would come and so forth. And then Micah comes and prophesies. This is the one Brother Bram often mentions this particular chapter. Very, very common. After all that's over, Jehoshaphat goes home. And when he goes home, he goes home in peace. But when he goes home, this is when God begins to deal with him. Now watch how God deals with him. Verse 2, And Jehu the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to the king Jehoshaphat, Shouldst thou help the ungodly, Ahab, and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Now he's going to meet, he's going to meet up with what he's sown in his life. He's going to reap this, okay? Nevertheless, Nevertheless, and it's good that that, that's there, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves, you've you've, uh, uh, removed a lot of the idols out of the country, and thou hast prepared thine heart to seek God. So listen now, here's a man who's who's essentially a good man, because God looks at the heart first, right? He's a good man. He's just got influenced, and he's got uh, bad friends, and he's got some things that are going on. And why should you help the people that hate the Lord and the Lord's people? And so... The, the, the Jehu tells him, but God sees your heart, and God knows that you have a, a, a real heart to seek God, and that's a good thing. And you know what? That's a thing that saved you. In other words, let me say it this way. Here's a man who's teachable. Here's a man who's able to be influenced by something that God might say. So he's, he's doing certain things here, but when God comes to him and sees that he's got a heart that would seek after God, man, you know what? God, I believe, deals with him because that's the kind of a man that God can deal with. 
It's really hard to deal with a proud man. It's really hard to deal with a man that feels he's always right. It's always hard to deal with a man that has very dogmatic, opinionated ideas, or a woman, very opinionated, very dogmatic, and they've got a way, it's figured out, it's got to be this way or no way, they're not going to listen to any other argument, any other commentary at all. Very hard to deal with them. As a pastor, I've had to deal with them over all my ministry, and it's very, very hard to do that. But, but the, what, what God finds in Jehoshaphat is a heart that is it, it's, it's open to seeking God. Lord, what would you say? What, what would you have me to do? How do you want me to respond here? And that, that's the kind of heart God comes to, so he sends Jehu to him. May God give us all that kind of a heart. May God give us that kind of a spirit that can be broken in God's presence. May God give us that kind of a heart that, you know what? Uh, just like, you know, when Noah, listen, listen to me for a moment here. When Noah, as a father, came out of the ark, just think about this for a moment here. Now, we are all experts in global calamity, right? I mean, for the last two years, we've all become healthcare experts and social workers and doctors and everything else. We all know everything there is about pestilences and global diseases. I mean, we all, we, we're all, remember that? Remember that thing we all had to deal with and wear masks about and all that? I mean, we're all, we're all pretty, we all got our black belt in that. We all understand that. But can imagine what it would have been like the day that Moses walked out of the ark and there's only eight people left in the earth. Imagine what that must have been like when they walk out of the ark and there's nothing there. There's just nature. There's no crowds. There's nobody waiting for them. There's nobody there. There's no stores. There is nothing there. And they have all died. Everything that creepeth upon the earth is either in the ark or dead. Shark bait. That's what they are. And so they're, they're, they're going outside the ark there. And uh, the, the family, and I'm just paraphrasing here because it doesn't say anything about this in the Bible, but uh, the, the children must have looked out there and said, we've got to get building on a house. I mean, we've we got to have a place to live. We've got to have a place for all of our families. And we, we need to, uh, you know, collect firewood. And we need to do this. And we need to do something else. You can imagine now, uh, you know, we've been, we've been through a couple of years of that. And, uh, you know, all the hardships that were associated with that. And I'm not minimizing that or trivializing that or being sarcastic about it. We know what it's like when something affects the whole world and the whole world's affected. Right? And there's no going back. There's no stopping it. And God allows it to happen and everybody's affected in the world by it. I mean, churches are affected by it. Churches are still affected by it. And people of the world are affected by it. And nations are still affected by it. And, uh, you know, it's something that... You know, you hate to think about it, but it's probably lurking around somewhere out there. I mean, it's a real thing. It's not a figment of our imagination. It's a real thing. But you can imagine what it must have been like. And I was thinking about that today coming down, that, you know, walking out on, on the earth in that day. And uh, what do you do first? What do you, what do you build first? What do you, uh, where do you go first? What do you, what do you say first to your family as a father? And what do you, uh, you know, what do you, what, where do you begin when, when you have a situation like that? And the whole world populated... And the whole world the way it was, and they walk out 40-odd days later, and, you know, the, the waiting period when the waters receded off the earth, and Noah walks out on the earth, and everybody's looking to him, well, where do you want us to start? What do you want us to build? What do you want us to do? And Noah simply looks at his family, and he says, hey, I don't know about what you're going to do, but what I'm going to do is build an altar. And he builds, he constructs an altar. And in, in Noah's mind, I mean... We don't know exactly what he says, really, but we can tell by his actions that the first thing he wants to do is simply to say to God, 
I'm thankful that you spared me. All my friends, all my associates, all my co-workers, all my extended family, everybody I ever knew came under the judgments of Almighty God. And you spared me. And I just want to do the very first thing in this new order of things. I want to build an altar and put a sacrifice on it. And I want to let the smoke go up to God. And I believe when God smelled that smoke, I think he must have appreciated Noah's offering pretty well. And smelt that smoke of honor. He smelt that smoke of honor where God saw that Noah honored him first. That Noah, listen, is anybody, anybody here tonight? That Noah honored God first. And that smoke of honor just ascends up to God. And God sees that and says, Ah, now I know. Now I understand why I picked Noah. He's a man who comes out. And the first thing he does is just thank God for his mercy and grace. Because, uh, you know, Noah, after all the trauma they had been to and all the things that, uh, they, they had seen. And now they're happy to be spared. Uh, now they are, uh, you know, uh, in, in a sense, they might have considered their time in the ark a prison. But now they realize that was just an incubator to get them into, ushered into a new world. And when God allowed them to come out of that incubator, and I will talk about this later, but God uses incubators. God uses confined spaces. And I don't doubt that even that confined space was pretty smelly. Because it only had one window, right? It only had one working window. And that confined space was, I mean, they were all in there, the chosen of the Lord. They were all inside the ark. And it got probably pretty hot and pretty smelly inside of there. But you know what? No matter how bad it got, it wasn't as bad as the storm outside. And you need to understand that the way that God deals, and I think one of the messages that God sends in the example of Noah, and Jesus says, don't forget Noah, because as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in this day, that we are pulled together in a, in a pretty close community of people called the bride and the church, right? Anybody a part of that say Amen. And I will tell you what, sometimes even our, even our assemblings can get pretty smelly and pretty dirty and it can get kind of rough sometimes, kind of close, right? Hey, listen, stop polishing your halo and you might as well say amen. But I would rather be inside this church than to be out there in the storm. I was out there last week on the border of Ukraine and looking at all of the, listening to the sounds and listening to the stories and listening to the uh, tragedies and the calamities and the things that people went through and the hopelessness uh, with which they described their situations and not knowing whether they're going to be able to leave and not knowing whether a bomb's going to stop and hit their house. They, did, they didn't know those things from night to night. They didn't know. And every night now, air raid sirens all over the place. And to listen to all that continually there. I will tell you what, the threat of of you know global catastrophe and the storm that the bible talks about it's a very real thing and even if this subsides we know we know that the whole world can be brought into a situation like this again very quickly it doesn't take months and months and years and years it happens very very quickly that uh, the money situation in the world can change and how about if they said uh just for instance how about if they said well churches that don't sign up they're going to be treated like this right or if they don't believe in the Trinity, then they're going to be treated like that. And I don't know how it will come, but I know that a prophet said the handwriting's on the wall. And when this nation sins away its day of grace and turns like Europe has away from God, it won't take too long. It won't take a lot of head thought for people who are in power in order to hold on to their jobs to allow the laws that are already passed to be enacted against people like us. Hey, don't kid yourself. I mean, I mean, this is the reality of the world that we live in here. But here's here's Noah, and he's out there, and for his father, for, as a father, and his family looking at him. The very first priority that Noah has is to build an altar and just say, "Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord." 
And we're going to give God the honor and the glory today. The honor of your father and mother is something that carries on all through life. Let me give you a little example here. We find in Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents. And that's what children should do, for this is right. Colossians 3, children, obey your parents in all things. That word obey, it means to listen or to hearken to a command and to submit to it as like a butler who would come to attention when the doorbell rings. The duty of a porter. That's the way. And all the kids now looked away from me. Look at that. Does not one kid look at me here? Hey, if you're too young to understand what I'm saying, but you're, but you're here, look at me when I say this. The commandment is very clear in Scripture that children should obey their parents. And they may not agree. The Bible doesn't say anything about that word on the screen here. But it means to listen and to hearken. Just like somebody, when somebody knocks on the door, the one who's appointed to answer the door goes and does his duty. That's the idea that's conveyed by Paul in the New Testament here. That's the meaning of the word. So when your father and mother knock on your door or yank your chain or get in your grill or confront you with something they need to have fixed, you're supposed to listen. According to the Bible, you're supposed to listen. You're not supposed to say, well, who are you to tell me that? I don't have to do it if I don't want to. Or I'm 18. None of my boys said I'm 18 to me. But that's not what we do as adults to our parents. I'm not under an obligation to obey my parents as an adult. So what do we do? We go to Ephesians 6.2 and it says, Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Exodus chapter 20, honor thy father and thy mother, a Greek word and a Hebrew word, that thy days might be long upon the earth. So the relationship changes as you grow older, right? So we're not children that are to be ordered, you wear this, don't wear this, and this is where we're going to go today. But the Hebrew word here is kabod, and it means, uh, in, in English, it means, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting word, and it means uh, to have weight or gravity, such as has to do with honor, okay? Now, let me give you some examples, because this is the best way to explain this. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, it says, Honor widows that are honored, that are widows indeed. Honor widows that are widows indeed. Or honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, but honor the king. Now, here's what Paul is trying to convey. That we should have a common respect for one another as brothers. And in our church, there's no big eyes and little U's. There's no uh, lofty ones among us here. We're all, to me, we're all brothers saved by the grace of God. And under the blood of Jesus Christ, we all believe things in common. We all have the message in common, right? But if a president walked in here, we would, in a sense, we would be careful about, more careful about how we stood and how we spoke and how we conducted ourselves. We wouldn't go up and slap them on the back and say, hey, man, why are you encouraging all these transgenders to come over here and with, from Ukraine and, and uh, you know, making the refugees come in? Should I not have said that? We are going to wait. We're going to wait somebody with importance based on who they are. It's not, not that we're going to prefer somebody. 
But like Jesus says in John chapter 5, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. And he that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which has sent him. Therefore, we're going to, uh, we're going to show maybe a little greater level of respect. We're going to give, um, we're going to listen more. We're going to treat that person not just like an ordinary Joe, pardon the pun. We're going to treat this person with maybe a greater level of respect because of maybe where God has placed this person, where this person is in life. Follow me now. There is a generation, there is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. This is Solomon now, and this is a really great passage in Scripture. I'm just taking a little part out of it here. Now, follow me as we look at this. i only got a few minutes. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed in their own filthiness. Does that remind you of Laodicea? I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. In my eyes, I'm absolutely pure. In my eyes, I'm absolutely right. And yet they're not washed from their own filthiness. They're able to see others, but not themselves. I was, uh, my wife and I were just on a flight going somewhere, and uh, we were uh, in line, you know, to swipe your boarding pass and get on. So there was a young guy who was in front of us, and he was like a university student. He had, he had a university sweatshirt on and so forth. And, uh, I mean, probably a nice guy, but uh, he came along and swiped his uh, boarding pass. And uh, the, the guy who was the man checking the boarding passes uh, the Delta employee, he's checking the boarding passes, and something flashed up on his thing, because if your boarding pass has some issue, it'll flash up on the little screen there. So he's looking at that and making sure everybody's okay to, to board and they have seats and everything else. Something flashes up. And this guy says, the employee, he says to that young student, he says, uh, excuse me, sir, this, and, and the guy turns around, keeps walking, doesn't stop. He's walking, says, blah, 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 blah. I, I know the answer to that before you tell me. I know what I'm I know what I'm supposed to know. It just keeps on walking. And we were next in line, and he just kind of turned to us, and he said, some people just know everything. And just smiled. And I said, yeah, true enough. He's, <clears throat> Solomon said, there's a generation that are pure in their own eyes, yet are not washed from their filthiness. There's a generation, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. In other words, they're proud. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords, and their jaw set as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. It's almost as if Solomon was looking at our day, wasn't he? That there would be a generation arise. But let's look at the word generation for a moment here, all right? And generation means a time period, it means those living in a particular period. So uh, the people who lived during World War II, they're referred to as the greatest generation. And they were characterized by the people who went through that era. They came through the, most of them came through the Great Depression or the post-Depression years and went through World War II. And they were tough. Uh, they were solid people very often. And they, were ref- they are referred to as the greatest generation. And they're characterized by a quality, a condition, or a class of men. So Solomon is simply saying to us that there is coming a generation of people that are right in their own eyes. And you'll see in a particular period of time, and it's specific, in a particular period of time, you'll see an attitude that will come in that particular time. And it's going to be rough because that attitude will be very real. 
And, and the things that they will say, the things that they will do, uh, will really have an effect in the world at that time. All right? So that's what, that's what Solomon is saying. Let's look in the Bible and see where it's, where it's found. In Genesis 7, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for they, thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. So in the days of Noah, it was a generation of people who didn't care about God. Uh, they, they were marrying, given in marriage. They were not concerned about, uh, you know, God's commandments. They were not concerned about uh, the story, which was then, by then, only about 1,900 years old. Uh, they were not concerned about it at all. But in this generation, I found a man. And I've called that man to build me an ark. And I'm going to demonstrate to the world that they're actually not in control. That they're not actually... The people who are turning all the screws and making everything happen. There are are people out there that God's not afraid to deal with face-to-face and in judgment. God's not afraid to do that. God's not afraid to look at their attitude in the face and say, all right, if you want to scrap, let's go at it. Let's have it out. It's on. Let's do it. Because if you don't listen to my prophets and if you don't care about my word and you don't care about the God of heaven who created you, uh, there's really only one thing left for me to do. And that is to clear the earth off, start with a righteous man like Noah. And in his generation, you know what? He's the guy I can find. I don't find thousands of people. I find Noah in this generation. So it's a specific period of time. Follow me. And God said, this is a token of the covenant. This is after the flood, which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. That's a different word. It's a plural word, generations. And so, therefore, uh, it's, it's from this time onward, uh, God says, I'll make a covenant with you, and it'll be a sign in the heaven and the rainbow. Genesis 15. But in the fourth generation, God dealing with Abraham, thou shalt come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. What's he telling Abraham? Your seed are going to multiply. They're going to go down into a strange land. And in the fourth generation, I'll reach down and rescue them and bring them back. At a specific time, in a specific generation, I'm going to go after them. Genesis 17 again. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore in thy seed after thee in their generations. Different word. It's a plural word. It means that from that time onwards. Okay? So that's the difference. Let's look at a specific generation that we want to deal with. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. How many know that Brother Branham said, this is this time? This is this time. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is Paul prophesying, not speaking about his day, but prophesying that in the last days, and we are here. Brother Branham says, clearly we are here. I've quoted to you numbers of times. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous. Watch now this attitude that Solomon was describing back there. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. They are covetous. They are boasters. They are proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, and all the other things there that we have commonly heard. So this is that generation, Paul says, that when that time comes, you're going to find in that generation a spirit that anoints the minds of people, and this is how they're going to act. You'll know you're in this time when you see this abound. We've always had this. We've always had you know, people that had uh, this kind of an attitude. But in the last day, it becomes an anointing that covers or characterizes the age. And you know who are looked down upon in that time? Parents, ministers, right? Or people who are in authority. That's why I have all the music and the movies that discredit 
you know, people who are in, uh, in authority, principals of schools, husbands. Uh, Hollywood does not exactly glorify husbands. Uh, people who are uh, like in ministry, people who hold a biblical standard or a standard of holiness. And I don't need your amen here because I know exactly what I'm talking about. Or people who hold any kind of a standard whereby they would be in a position to tell people that you need to think about someone other than yourself because you are a lover of your own self. But you know what? There are more people in this world than just you. And they're boasters. They're proud of it. And they don't want to be told. And so on, so on, so on. I mean, you know the scripture, and I'm just making sure you understand, again, that this is where we are, and this is what this word generations means. There is coming a specific time frame, a specific season, and in this season it will be characterized by certain things. Here you go, look around, this is what we've got. We're brothers together. Brother Branham said, now that's the way we want to live. That's the way we want to act in our family, your own children. There's hardly two of them that will agree with one another, but they're the same family. They might differ in features and appetite. They might differ in every way, but they're one family. And we're the family of Christ. I thank God for a prophet who's raising an ideal. This is where the bar should be. Is that okay? So you as a family, this is the way we should conduct ourselves. But isn't it true that we as a church family should also conduct ourselves this way? We're part of one another. You know what? We might disagree. We might have different appetites. We might have some different priorities in life. But you know what? Uh, At the end of the day, at the end of the day, watch what he says. I'm not trying to say, well, Jimmy, I'm with you and John, I'm against you. I'm saying Jimmy and John, we're both in the same family. See what I mean? We're all working together on this farm to make a living for the family. We all need to be pulling on the rope in the same way because it's not going to work if we're pulling one way and someone else pulling the other way in the same family. We have enough, we have enough en- enemies in this world. We have enough disagreement in this world. We have enough opposition in this world. We have enough spiritual headaches in this world. Shouldn't be happening in here. Absolutely shouldn't be happening in here. And as a family of God, therefore, we learn to forgive, we learn to move on, uh, we, we learn to, uh, you know, deal with one another as fairly and as equitably as we can and so forth, realizing that in every family there are oddballs, right? There are people that, I mean, they're just in every family, you got them there. And in our family in the church, we have, uh, you know, the same thing, people that have, you know, different priorities and all the rest of it, like he's describing here. But at the end of the day, I'd rather be in this family than out there in the storm. At the end of the day, I'd rather be a part of a group like this than to be out there struggling with the rest of the world trying to figure out what's going on and try to find a way out. Wouldn't you? It might get smelly in here for a little while, but you know what? I'll take that over that. And it's God's mercy to put us together. Ha! It's God's mercy. Who knew? God knew that we needed to be together for different reasons. And those reasons are not always our reasons. But nonetheless, God put us all together. And here we are. It might get a little smelly. But you know what? I'd still rather have this than that. I'd rather be raising my children in here with you than, and my grandchildren than to be raising them out there in the world. Listening to what kids go through in middle school and the garbage that they're taught in kindergarten even and early primary schools. and It's just absolutely amazing. I'd rather, I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather be pulling together with a group like this as the family of God than having to deal with people out there whose focus is on money or sports or drugs or entertainment or whatever else. I'd rather have the priorities we have. Are you with me? 
And this is, this is to me, uh, this is the making the right judgments uh, that was talked about back in Leviticus and Chronicles there, that uh, you're going to be called upon to make judgments here. You're going to have to make decisions here. And what you want to do is you want to put the word in front of you, and let's make decisions based on the word. And if our son or our daughter are not doing it according to the word, then, hey, listen, we need to confront that. We need to deal with that because that's what families should do. That's what fathers should do. And if we have that in the church, then we should deal with it as a church here because if, if Satan can find a foothold, he'll get in and do whatever he can do. And, and I'll tell you what, it's never better when Satan gets a foothold and gets in and messes everything up. It's never better. Things are weaker. And as Christians, as Christians, I, I believe that, uh, you know, we recognize, hey, this is a family. This is what we do, and this is how we care for one another. And, uh, you know, somebody wrote to me the other day, and they said, uh, you know, uh, I'm so thankful, Brother Barry, you went over to Ukraine, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know what, let me tell you honestly how I feel. I told this to my wife the other day. I feel like coming back, after I came back, I feel like I haven't really done enough. I feel, and I'm not trying to be humble here, and I'm not going for the medal. I'm not going for an early pastor appreciation. I'm just telling you that uh, when I was there and I was getting a bag ready to go over, uh, over the border, I went through my suitcase with a fine-tooth comb to take everything out, everything out that I could, that I could replace, and just put it, stuff it in that bag and give it to him. My shoe polishing cloth, my extra toothpaste, whatever I had, because I feel like, Man, if they have to live in those conditions over there and they just have the clothes on their back, that's all they have. That's the least I could do. And this brother said to me, oh, it's great that you've done that. And I said, I'm sorry, uh, you know, thanks for saying that. But I'm sorry, I just, I just feel like I haven't done enough. I came back with a sense of urgency that I need to do more. I need to be better at helping in whatever way I can. And they said, hey, when I wrote them back and said a few sentences like that, they said, hey, we're not hardly doing anything and you actually went over. And I said... But isn't that what families do? When somebody in, is in need in a family, don't, don't we go to them? Don't we reach out to them? And don't we, whatever, whatever resources I have, let's, hey, let's, let's get this done. Let's go. Let's do it. No matter what it is, no matter what the situation is, if, I mean, in, in normal circumstances, obviously, if there's, you know, abusiveness or something else that's crazy there, it's another story. But I'm talking about when somebody's in trouble and somebody's going through I mean, the least we can do is, is reach out to them and just let them know, hey, how can I help? How can I pray? Tell me how to pray for you. And, and how can we do I, And I, I keep telling people, that's what families do. So don't applaud me because I'm doing what we should do because, after all, we're all working together on this farm to make a living for a family. To me, I'd like to do whatever I can to minister to the body of Christ because that's what the Scripture tells us that we should do. If you see your brother in need, and then by this and looking at these people going all over the place, it's completely out of their control and they're going all over the place. Maybe they would be transplanted into a place where they might encounter the last seed. I don't know. I don't know. But this may be God's way of spreading people out in Europe of all places and having them witness to a people over there who couldn't care less about God and going to church. And now all of a sudden here's a new brother at work at a factory and he might meet somebody over there. And who knows? We may have most of the bride completed and it might need just one brother from somewhere going to a place over there and witnessing to somebody. You, you say, well, that's probably not true. It might not be. But I'll tell you what, I don't know that any more than you do. God knows. 
And to me, I'd like to do whatever I could to assist, whether it's, you know, Brother Aaron in this country right here or whether it's Brother David in this country right here needing help. To me, it doesn't matter. It's not based on who's who and not based on who's uh, poor or rich or whatever else. Hey, we're family. That's what families do. When you begin to think like that, when you begin to think like that, to me, you're providing the example that people behind you see as a demonstration of your priority. So when Noah comes out and he builds an altar, he tells his family, you know what? Most important, folks, most important is not your new house and not your new car and your new job. What's most important is giving thanks to God. And as a father, he gives that example to his children. And they see that and they recognize, wow, the smoke's going up to God. And God looks at that and says, hey, I'll never curse the earth again with water. As a family, as a family, to me, I put a high priority on the family, whether it's my own family or whether it's, uh, you know, the family of God here. Very high priority because, to me, uh, that's what fathers do. Let's stand to our feet. Sorry, we haven't gotten any further here, but Brother Branham says in your family, he says there, there are a bunch of oddballs. I mean, look around in my family. Huh. But they're one family. We're the family of Christ. And I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm glad to be associated with the family. Glad to be associated with you, Matt. God bless you. Uh, glad to be associated with all of you. <laughs> Might be a little, a little smelly at times, but you know what? You probably bring your part too. You love the Lord tonight? God is good. If we'll ever have shalom in the home, We'll, we'll think like a real family, get the priorities right like a real family. That's what, to me, that's, that's how God blesses a family when things are done according to his word. And he says back in the Old Testament many times, when you judge, you judge according to the word. Come back to the word all the time. And I'll tell you what, God will honor that. Stay with the good is what he said. All right, let's sing a little chorus here this evening and uh, let's, let's, just, uh, let's just leave with God's blessing tonight. Let's sing that little chorus. It's Jesus I really want to see. F, put it in there. It's Jesus I really want to see. Yes, it's Jesus I really want to see. And the more I see of this world the less it means to me for it's Jesus that I really want to see again now yes it's Jesus that I really want to I really want to see And the more I see of this world The less it means For it's Jesus that I really want to see 
glad I'm yours, Lord. So glad I'm yours. So glad your mercy has followed me. So glad you found me and you set me free. So glad I'm yours, Lord. So glad I'm yours. One more time. So glad I'm yours, Lord. So glad I'm yours. So glad your mercy has followed me. So glad you found me. So glad I'm yours, Lord. So glad I'm yours. I bless your name. I bless your name through prisons, bars. Let's sing it. In prisoners' chains with bleeding stripes. Paul and Silas prayed that night, and in their pain began to sing. We're now. I bless your name. I bless your name. I give you so good. Sing that second verse now. Some midnight hour If you should find There in a prison in your mind Reach out and Praise, defy 
chains and they will fall in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Sing it now. I bless your name. Hallelujah. I bless your name. Father, we bow in your presence tonight. We thank you, Lord Jesus, with a heart full of thankfulness. And Lord, when we look around in this world and see all the people out there groping for solutions and looking for peace, you have called us, Lord, to this ark of safety. You've called us, Lord, to this place where we can know we are sheltered from the judgments of God that are already turning in the earth. Lord Jesus, we sometimes look at ourselves and think, why us, Lord? But, Lord, may we just simply adopt a, uh, just an attitude of thankfulness. And may that, may that spirit of thanksgiving just wash over our hearts and souls, Lord. May it just wash over this assembly. And, Lord, may you just deal with us according to your mercies, O oh God. Not because we've gotten it all right and not because, Lord, we know everything. But, Lord, we just stand and believe with all of our heart that you are God and you are the creator. And you are the one, Lord, that's controlling all things. You're worthy of our praise, just like Paul sang in the prison there, Lord. Casting aside the chains and giving you thanks, Lord. I believe that's the right response you want to see from all of us. And so, Lord Jesus, I commit the people now into your hands, Lord. There are many needs among us. Father, there are some real special needs that we're praying about. And we ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would just draw near, Lord, to those that are hurting and mourning and those that are suffering loss. Lord, may you just be gentle and kind to them, I pray. Pour oil upon troubled waters. And Lord, may you bring peace as the Prince of Peace can do. We commit our ways to you in the balance of our week, Lord, and ask that you'd bless our families. Help us, Lord, I pray, to seek for peace and to love you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I bless your name your name I give you honor you praise you are the Should find 
justify those chains and they will fall in Jesus name I bless your name I bless your When we get over yon 